All right. Uh, when he mentioned, I mentioned that uh, we still didn't have a sponsor for today's shear. He said, of course, he has yard site tonight for his mother, and uh, he's sponsoring today's shear. So I'm just going to say, you know, his mother's name was Sarahena, and uh, I found these tukum, which I thought were quite appropriate. Of course, I, I, I wasn't so good to know her, uh, but Daniel is, has been such a, uh, a stellar person, really a model of what it means to be a friend and a, 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 a learner, a, an employee. Uh, just watch Daniel, and you can see well, he must have had such great parents that raised him with such midas toivos. Um, and in terms of his being a balachrayas, a person you can count on, um, on his friends and, and his family. So wish him all the best and not to know any more tsar. But these psukim I thought were good for him, Daniel. The pasuk for Sora, it's a pasuk in the, in the parts of Yeshayahu where, where the Nechom of Klal Yisrael is emphasized. And there, Klal Yisrael has been battered throughout the Golas and seems like she's a, a widow, an older woman who's been abandoned by her husband, her, her love, her children. And then the pasuk tells us in Yeshayahu, see Sova Veinayach, She's going to turn her eyes around. She's going to turn everywhere. She's going to see all the children going from everywhere. The ones that have been in Golos, Klau Yisrael, the Knesset Yisrael, the great mother is going to see her children come back, all of us that are part of that, that idea. Nikbetsu Boiloch. It's going to turn around from all corners of the globe, and, and which is what we hope is, is happening and, and will happen very soon. Chaini Nu Mashem, God says, I swear, God says by his life, by the power of God himself, the life of God. When all those children come, Knesset Yisrael, this, this, this great mother figure of, of the Jewish people, is going to take all the children in and wear them like the most beautiful clothing. Like, not a, most, a, a beautiful piece of clothing, but the fanciest, shtadiest, as we used to say in old yeshivish terms, the most shtadi, beautiful uh, to the nines, bling, bling type of thing that, that she's going to wear. It's like the, it's like the tachshichain kamo, utikashrem kekala. And that's, that's, that's the, uh, the sin of Sarah and the hay. She'll wear them and bind them her like, like, like a young bride. And that, of course, is what the, when we think about our mothers, we think about how our mothers have raised us. We think about the ultimate mother, Knesset Yisrael, the Shekinah that we sing to by Eshazchayel. So that should be a, a, a cure of a, a simon, Sara should be a simon of, of the Gula coming quickly. And Henna, unfortunately, whenever we have a yard site, we always wonder about the pain and suffering and, and why someone has to leave us. And this is all part of the great secret that Zofar so uh, spoke to Eov. He said, Can you really know what God is about? Can you really understand uh, God's ideas, his plan to go beyond? That's what Eov was told. And that's something I think whenever we have a yard site, whenever we, we come to something in a difficult time, uh, we have to say that. We can't really know and we can't really plumb to the depths. It's interesting, today's topic is going to be about using our brains to know and understand. And yet, the great depths of God are something that we probably are to get to the final aspect of we probably aren't able to do. David mentions to me that this is, is it today the yard site, David? Correct. So same, same as Daniel. So we'll have also in mind, again, the Lili Nishmas, um, your dad, who it's we had, it's a Yaakov. And Moshe Baruch. And you told me he was a shtickle, he was a Talmachacham, right? One of them was the, right? He was definitely a fine Yid, the grand, right? Grandfather. 
So only she on all of them Okay, this is Parsha Shkolim coming up, and we're reading Parsha's Mishpatim as well. And I don't know about the rest of you, but um, to me, Parsha's Mishpatim was what really. It was so different the first time I encountered it. I don't remember how old I was. I might have been nine or ten. And I started doing the Rashis and the Chomish and reading these Pesukim. And it was unlike anything else I had seen. It really gave me the the taste. And if you just, just doing Gemara, just do Chomish Rashi, what does it mean, Chazal? What is the Drosha? What is the Halacha? Uh, how do you have one, a Pesuk here that's amplified by a Pesuk in a different place? Uh, it's it's like a person tasting what it means to learn yeshivish, to learn in, in, in a base medrash. Even though all you're doing is chomish rashi, but parshas mishpatim, the civil laws have an energy, a power that draw you in. And I think as I got older, I think that um, other things in parshas mishpatim, not just learning the pshat and understanding how, wh- how what the words mean, and, and, and understanding what the halach is, whether it's about shemer socher, shemer chinam, and shoyel. And understand, but also to be fascinated by things like this. For example, if you take a look here, um, in Perakhov Beis, here's an example. Now we know that um, there's psuchos and stumos, right? So a stuma would mean, we'll take a look here on the board for a second, you take a look, kol shoichiv and behemamoisumos, that's the end. All right, machshefelo sachaya. Those things obviously go together. These are paganistic, uh, ultra-central, terrible things that, that we, we, we put together. But then you have a stuma, which means that's the end of the paragraph, and here comes a new paragraph. How does the paragraph begin? Anybody who slaughters to other gods... He will be killed. Yachram, he's gonna be, he's gonna be guilty of death. It has to be only about God. And right after that, look at the very next pasuk. There's no break. The very next pasuk says, Ger lo soneh, right? Uh, a, a stranger who comes to be part of you, a person who, who converts. Don't try to angle and don't try to push him around because he doesn't have the family connections. Lo zilchotzenu, because you were gay and Barrett's Mitzrayim. And then right after that, kol almona viyosem leisa anun, so here we have civil law, but it's also the incredible, what's this, what is it all in the same paragraph for? If you'd be writing it to a copy editor, you would say, okay, I love what you're saying here about don't do a vodazor, it's got to be all about God, but that should be in a different paragraph. What are you talking, what's the connection here between Zoveich Lelohim and Ger Losonim? These type of questions that, it's, it's throughout Parshas Mishpatim. It's where, oh, okay, that's a pretty interesting thing, but then what's this doing here? Why is that the first sentence in your paragraph? What is God trying to teach? Uh, we all know in the Parshas Mishpatim, it says you have to teach them, Tosim Lifneim. It's all about learning it in the greatest way. What is the idea of, of fealty to only one God and not these, uh, the plethora of, of ancient gods have to do with these laws about, about justice, about mercy, about, as we can see, as it comes up, uh, which is what I want to talk about eventually, is how we lend money and we don't take interest, 
it seems to be <coughs> the the introductory sentence is startling. Now I didn't real now again when I was a kid, I just was trying to get through the psukim and maybe when I eventually got to high school to, to get a good grade on my Homish Rashi test that they gave us every Sunday morning. But as you get older and you we year by year you look at this parsha, it makes you think about Mishpatim, but yeah, what about this other stuff? I think this sort of strangeness and the the desire to know and actually the keys to figuring them out is part of what I really believe gives you gives an excitement to the study and the learning. And it's not just in today, in the 20th century when I was doing it, or the 21st century when you and your children are doing it. I think this was part of the essential excitement and importance of this parsha to the history of the world. And I'm going to explain why. Now, first, I know it's, it's not good to leave a dangling question here. So I'm going to tell you the answer. And the answer is really something that uh, I want to thank uh, Current Publishing for um, uh, putting out uh, a real incredible book. And I know if it's worth the amount of money, you know, I don't know if you have that amount of money around to buy it, but they've put out uh, a, a a version of Tanakh based on archaeological and findings, and they don't just have Parshonim and Rabbonim, and like Jonathan Sachs and others translating it, they also have the Egyptologists and people who can really give you, especially in Sefer Shmos, the real background behind uh, the ancient world and how revolutionary and credible the Torah was. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that I think the answer is if you look in the ancient world, there were, everyone knows about the Hammurabi Code. I was surprised when I started opening up this book and found that about, and again, I didn't, I have the book in my office. I can bring it in and show you at the end of the class. Maybe we'll have a little discussion afterwards. But of the amount of codes and laws that the B'nai Yisrael and Mitzrayim were probably familiar with, and clearly Paro and his advisors we know from the Zohar and other places that the Erevrav wasn't just a bunch of, you know, you know, Uriah heaps and, and, you know, people that, that, you know, you know, you know, I'm not sure what else I could use, a literary, um, who's the guy from, uh, Lord of the Rings, the one who's, uh, Golems, right? It's not one of these, just these creepy people that were part of it. They were actually the scientists and the, and the brilliant men, the Zohar says. They were like the smartest people in Mitzrayim joined up with Claudius Tro. And they were obviously familiar with not only the laws in Mitzrayim, but the, it was a metropolitan area where the laws of many, many uh, societies were well known. In most of these societies, and we have records based on, you know, the cuneiforms and, and something like hieroglyphics and the stones, we find that in all those gods' laws, those laws that were part of a society that worked pretty decent, it was almost the opposite of our laws. Instead of instead of not charging interest, there was incredible rates for silver is always going to be 30%. Food is going to be, or maybe 20%. Food is going to be 33%. Those were actually embedded into their laws about what it means when you can't pay a loan and how you take over the other person's life. Similarly, throughout Sefer Mishpatim, and again, I'm sort of like shooting my wad here, but throughout Sefer Mishpatim, if you do a corollary between the laws, the way, the intelligentsia, or even the, the B'nai Yisrael, the Levim, or any of the people who knew about what law was, 
this was the most startling, eye-opening thing. These laws are about compassion, about mercy. They're talking about governing a society, but it's almost the exact opposite. They talk about if a slave wants to leave, right? This is a very famous one. Shadal quotes it out of the Hammurabi Code. We all, I'm sure you've heard about it, that if a slave actually would try to escape, that his ear would be cut off, right? And, and we have in the very beginning of Parshas Mishpatim almost the exact opposite, which is where, in other words, the, the old codes, the codes of the ancient world that had to govern life, that human beings had to come up with a way uh, to work as a, in, in an interpersonal manner, but their codes were a, a very strict caste, caste system, and if anybody tried to buck the order or try to change things in any way, it, the, the, the power of the community and the God that sanctioned it would come down so hard they would actually eliminate any chance. So if a person wants to leave, he's going to get his ear cut off, whereas in partial what you have uh, the most incredible opposite is is that you want to stay we're not cutting your ear but we're, we're telling you okay we understand why you want to stay with this this woman who is really not your wife and you're starting to see her as your wife but realize that this is not that there's a message here okay you can stay here if you want but freedom the freedom to make choices, the freedom to become, to go, to go beyond. Yes, you were a thief, and because you were a thief, you had to be sold, right? Or whatever the, whatever the circumstance that brought you into it. But becoming a slave was a way to actually inculcate new midos, new minhagim into your life and realize and learn, and now it's over. Okay, you, you spent those years, right? And this is, right? You spent those years there. I don't know how many years Roger Stone was supposed to spend, but you spend those years, right? I have some reference. I had to, I, listen, the four bucks a month that I, whatever it is I spend for the, uh, for the, for the New York Times has to come in handy for something. But anyway, the point is, you spend those years in jail, spend those six, seven years, now you come out a different mention. You spend those years being an avid, and now you realize you're a different person, and you're treated differently. That's something that I think is maybe one of the reasons why it says meaning, hey, this ain't the old story. This isn't about their gods because their gods had a whole different take on things. And therefore, when it's about God alone, the ultimate God that actually includes all the powers, then real humanity and real compassion can come out. So that's really one of the things that I think Sefer Mishpatim gives you. Now, if I'm right about this, I think I'm able to answer one of the most difficult uh, questions and attacks. And I don't know if it explains the end of the parsha the way it needs to, but it definitely, I think, explains the Ramban. So let me explain. Let me let me say what, what's going on here. We all know that Parsha's Mishpatim uh, not only has this. <laughs> look, if I. Again, you know, uh, we all have favorites, but if if, if, if you talk about the three parshias that are the biggest, um, you know, like the biggest heavy hitter parshias of mitzvahs and ideas, again, there's, of course, there's kisisa with the chet ego, then you probably have to say parshas mishpatim, parshas kedoshim, right, and parshas uh, parshas kiseitze. Those are the parshias that are packed of mitzvahs, and they really give a panoramic view of what what the what what the Torah what it's capable of. Like it, it's almost like Turn a page. If a rabbi tells you, I don't have a drosh of a parshas mishpatim, there's a problem there. Because all you got to do is open any page and stick your finger down and you'll find something. So, let's take a look. At the end of the parsha, though, you also have Matan Torah again. At the end of the parsha, you actually have 
the giving of the Torah, which we thought was last week's parsha, and here you have it here, at least according to Chazal and Rashi, who quotes Chazal, and you can see, you know, um, this is by the way, if you're if you're if you are a little bit um, surprised by what you're seeing here, it says El Moshe Omar Aleo Yakok, right? You can see that up there. That's because this comes from the Barilan, um, the Barilan site. The Barilan uh, computer site. Uh, if you have access to Barilan, and there, since they're worried about these type of papers falling into places where they shouldn't, the Yud Kevav, all the names of God, have been altered uh, with a kuf there. So that's how, anytime you see that long kuf, it should be a hey. So this is the very end of the parsha, the twenty fourth parak of, of, of Shmos, and what happens here? Okay, come up, please, uh, Moshe. You're alone. Now, when did this happen? So Rashi tells us that this happened. You think a little bit Rashi down here. Rashi says, "Parsha zu nemrakodam aseres hadibros." Hmm. So we had the aseres hadibros. In last week's parsha, we had a whole give and take between God and the Jewish people. Tell them this: get them ready, have them wash, have them separate from their wives. They're going to have lightning and thunder. They're going to hear. Uh, they're going to hear how the Torah was given. And now we sort of have, okay, and here's the second version of it. Here's the second version of Matan Torah. It's a very strange thing, right? right? And it has different things in it, right? There, it's almost like many people, everybody knows, um, everybody knows, uh, you know, the first two prokim of Horatius, Rav Salvechik made them so famous uh, in his Lonely Man of Faith when he spoke about the Adam 1 and Adam 2, right? I don't even have to, you don't even have to read Salvechik, and I say Adam 1, Adam 2, everybody knows what I'm talking about, Right? If you watch TV in the early 70s, you think I'm talking about a, a, a cop show, remember? Adam 1, Adam 2, Adam 2. But anyway, Martin Milner, whatever it was. But most people who are, who are not, who aren't TV junkies, the people know when you say Adam 1, Adam 2, you're talking about Peric Alpha, Peric Beza, Beratius. Okay, that's interesting. Here's Briosaw. Okay, it's good. They're right next to each other, so you can start analyzing them. Here we have Matan Torah 1 and Matan Torah 2. Matan Torah 1, Parshas Yisro. Matan Torah 2, Parshas Mishpatan. Yeah, thanks, Yoni. So, from getting from the freezer. So you have the two parshios. Okay, and, and it's, it's, it's troubling. They're not even next to each other. Why couldn't they have been integrated with each other? Um, and I don't know if I'm going to get to it. I know I put it in the blurb. Uh, I, I, one of the most satisfying answers I found, um, uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, based on, I think, the Maral and others, has a nice explanation. We'll try to get to it when we can. But first, let's talk about the anomaly that here it is, another story of Matan Torah. Okay, so if you want, we're going back now. What happens? So let's take a look. So this this is we know you've heard about Mantor before. Here's another angle from it, a Rashamon, right? That's another reference. If, if I hope my listeners are eight thousand and counting uh, from our podcast, they're getting that Rashamon reference. So here's a, 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 from another perspective. What's the perspective? Okay. Vayavo Moshe, this according to Rashi, happens on the fourth day. Remember, the Torah gets given two days from now. So it's two days before Matan Torah. Vayavo Moshe v'yasapr la'am is kol divrei Hashem. Okay, he tells them something. V'eskol ha-mishpatim. And he tells them mishpatim. Okay, hang on, that's going to be important in a minute. Remember, according to Rashi, this is occurring before Matan Torah. And what happens? Vayan kol ha'om kol echod v'yomru. Can you imagine that? Three million strong. Right? Kol echad, in one voice. And they said, Kol advarim asher diber Hashem na'aseh. Okay? 
Now, those of you that are familiar with Chazal and, and this and, 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 and this Miros that we sing on, Shab- on Shabbos from Rabbi Yudah Levi, the altered version of it anyway, the censored version of it, right? Right? Nasev Nishma, right? That's, but that's, that's coming up in a second. The first thing was Moshe tells them, he discussed, and we'll talk about what the word sipur means in a minute. And that gets a great response. And I put an exclamation point there because it makes sense to have an exclamation point there. Then, what happens? Moshe takes some time and he does what every good rabbi likes to do. He decided to write. So he's writing the divrei Hashem. And again, there's a question about is this, does this have a din of a Sefer Torah or not? The morale explains this was not a, a Sefer Torah. Moshe was writing something. We'll see what he was writing. But it was Moshe's book. But it became our book. That's the Sefer Abris that's coming up. And the next morning, which according to Rashi, if you're, you're counting, that would be the fifth day of Sivan, Vayashke Baboker, Vayivan Mizbeach Tachasahar. And there was 12 Matsevas there. So again, Moshe's got the book ready, remember. And it's the next morning, and it's a lot of fanfare. There's 12 Mizbachot, and the Nare B'nei Yisrael, the young people, were they the Bechorim? Were they just young people that, 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 that were just, you know, young teenagers, whoever they were? Here's the Korbanos. There's Shlomim, and they're all Parim. Everything is, is, everything is bulls, like the Ramban says. They were very into bulls and agils. That was a very big theme by them. <coughs> and then Moshe takes the, Moshe takes Chatzi Adam. Moshe takes the blood from the Korbanos. He puts them in a container. Um, and half of it exactly goes on the Mizbeach as a thing of God. But now, but the other half is going to go on them. How it gets sprinkled on them is a discussion in the Mepharshim, but the rest of the blood, the blood from these animals, is going to go on a, a, the representatives of the Jewish people representing them all. It's going, it's a, it's, it's a bris. But, in, but for a bris to work, you need a, a book of the bris. So here's the book that Moshe Rabbeinu was writing that night before. He now lifts, he takes the book, and look what it says here, Vayikra ba'ozne ha'am. So I underlined ba'ozne ha'am. They're hearing it, right? He's reading it to them. I have this problem all the time when, I, when people, students of mine don't have the book in front of them. So you need to read carefully with good diction, and hopefully you've got the voice down, and they're listening. And Moshe Rabbein, of course, had a lot of help with that, uh, as Chazal tell us, and people are listening. And now, when they hear the book, when they hear the stuff that's in that book, Vayomru, Kol Asher Diber Hashem, Nasev now you get to that incredible ecstatic level of <laughs> we're in, we're in. Whatever he's going to say, we, we're going to do it. And you know, as Chazal say, we're going to hear it later. Whatever it is, we're, we're accepting it. We're not even going to think about the reason right now. It can be like that. They're not skeptical. They don't have to hear stuff. Wow. So what am I bringing out? It was the reading of the Sefer Abris that generated this. There's no way out. The Madrig of Klal Yisrael, to accept this system and to make it not just some system on a cuneiform somewhere that somebody dug up, you know, when they were, you know, uh, you know, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, I don't know who it was, but whatever it was, Sam Elliott and Laura Dern digging it up somewhere in the desert and finding, oh, here you go, now we just found the, uh, we just found this old Torah. This becomes the Torah of the Jewish people. In other words, hearing the passages from the Sefer Abris means that we accepted that system. And that system changed the world. Because even though 
you know, uh, much of, of law that we have today is built on some of the superstructure of Rome, but the morality, the spirit of that law is really our <coughs> laws and say for Mishpatim. I, I know if you were listening to the debate last night, I started to listen to it, and my wife put the pillow right over her head, and I could tell she didn't want to hear any of it. But if you heard any of that, what? I stopped. But if you heard any of that, of the appeals of what people feel the, the way our society should be run, there's a direct line from Parshas Mishpatim and the ideas of Parshas Mishpatim and what America is arguing and haggling about now, about how we can have uh, a, a system that is compassionate and works uh, and is not just some sort of uh, utopian uh, impossibility. But where do we have the compassion for the, for the person who doesn't have the money? Where do we bring people in? Where do we include people? Where can we empower people? It's all because of a system that Klaal Yisrael accepted. And that's how it became entrenched in the consciousness of all uh, of, of most of the civilized world. Again, again, I'm obviously prejudiced. There might be a sociologist or an archaeologist who can show me there's other systems, but I don't think that's the case. I think the Western world has been influenced by the Jewish, by the morality and by the, the, the uh, of what Parshas Mishpatim stands for. So it changed the world. It changed us. It turned us into Malachim. And it really is changing the world for the better. So what was in that Sefer Abris? That's really the question. And Moshe actually says, okay, you're ready now. You accepted it. I loved what I heard there, guys and girls. So now, here's the Dam Abris. And now, like any covenant, we're binding you together. Okay, what's in the Sefer Abris? So, let's take a look. Remember, Rashi says it happens before Matan Torah. So what could be in there that could get them so excited? So we'll take a look at Rashi. Rashi is based on these, what's, what's on the screen over here, uh, on, on the on the Midrashim and the Mechilta. I don't have time for that, but I want to show you Rashi inside. Let's take a look at Rashi in, uh, about what's in the Sefer Abris. Here we go. So first of all, what did he tell them when he on, on day four? What he told them was, Divrei Hashem. What's Divrei Hashem? Well, like we said in Parshas Yisrael, you're going to have to basically separate from your wives. Everyone's going to be in a certain order around the Har Sinai. And what are these Mishpatim? Remember, the Parshas called Parshas Mishpatim. So it looks like the elephant's in the room here, but Rashi avoids it. Rashi says, well, this, it can't be the Mishpatim that we just were talking about, the, 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 the dinim of Evid Ivri, of, 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 of Ribis, uh, of all the incredible dinim. It can't be any of that. So what could Mishpatim be? So Rashi says, well, they had Mishpatim, Sheva Mitzvah, Shenitztavod, B'nai Noach, as you can see up around the board. Okay. Hmm. Did they know about them? Maybe they did. Maybe some of them did. What else? And their Shabbos, Shabbat. Kibirav Aim, Paraduma, Vidinim, didn't realize it. So there's Shabbos, there's Paraduma, Dinim, which I guess is some sort of a system. It, it couldn't have been as, as, as particular and unique as what we know. And yet, then what does Moshe do? Moshe writes something else. That's not all safe for Abris. What does safe for Abris have in it? Look at this. Mibirav was around. In other words, even though we say that's all part of the Torah, it sounds here that at least Moshe was privy to it, and it was before he got the Torah. So Rabbi Levi and others say it could be 
the Nusach of Bereshis, the way we have it, was actually preceding the Torah. Those words, even the way they were written, which eventually become the holy just that were post Matan Torah, like like you know, take the Mon and and put it away in the Aron, because that wouldn't have made sense, right? So he wrote the history of Klal Yisrael was from Yitzhak Mitzrayim up until the point of Matan Torah, and of course those mitzvahs that we talked about, and that's really what they heard to become so excited. Um, and, 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 you know, that's not a bad approach. Look, so all those stories happened already. They had happened, but they were now hearing them right. in a definitive manner. Right. It, right? it wasn't about Gilgamesh. It was, oh, oh there's a story of Noah. And uh, get, get, they were listening, right? You know, it was, you know, it was reading, you know, like, uh, and, wow. And that, according to Rashi, is what did it, what, what caused them to reach that level. Now, I mentioned before, again, despite there's a difficulty here in the fact that we have a second story of Matan Torah seemingly out of place, but also I think there's something between Mephorshi Achumish, just take Rashi and the Eben Ezra. The Eben Ezra is, uh, uh, Rashi is, you know, uh, Shai Agnon was asked uh, when he got the Nobel Prize who his literary influences were. Um, you know, Shai Agnon was, of course. He, he was the Israeli pope because here he was writing these uh, stories that were so rich from Lushonas Chazal. Again, no, there's no good English translation of Shai Agnon. It's impossible to translate him. Really, it really is. So you just have to read it in the Hebrew and work on it like you're working on a safer. Maybe one day as IDT expands, we'll have a, a literary for some Israelis. We'll do some Shai. So what he did was he walked in the street. He walked in the street of Stockholm. To, and, and, and it was incredible because here he was, he had a big yarmulke on his head and he walked through the streets as the winner of the Nobel Prize of Literature, I guess it was 1966, I don't know, you can look it up uh, 65 or 66 is cryptic to the point of sometimes you, you don't even understand what he really wants at all he's uh, ultra Rashi, Rashi sort of when he's when Rashi gets into diktuk, Rashi takes your hand and he explains every single principle the Eben Ezra is really a lot more cryptic, a lot more difficult. Um, my father, a lot of Hanoah from it. Eben Ezra, at this point, says, okay, do you want to know what it was that was happening here? El Moshe Omar. He says, Koma, here's Eben Ezra in italics right over there. Koma That's what he told them, right? He says, he told them what you've been reading in this book. It's basically, he told them, Parshas Mishpatim. Huh. <laughs> he told him Parshas Mishpatim. So when did this whole thing happen? If he told him Parshas Mishpatim, when did it happen? So he says, um, because he's, he says that he told them the mitzvah sasei and lo saseis that are from Atem Reisem, from the end of Parshas Yisrael, until this last part of Parshas Mishpatim, Chov Gimel, Lam and Gimel. Veskolam Mishpatim, Asher Sam Lifneim, Heman Iskarim, Beparshazos. Which means, as the Ramban points out, that this happened actually after Matan Torah, right? This actually happened after Matan Torah. Hmm, when did it happen? So remember, Moshe comes and tells them some stuff, and then the next morning he reads the Sefer Abris. So the Ramban says what happened here was the following. They had the events of Parshas Yisro. The events of Parshas Yisro were fast, were tremendous, but now Moshe goes into the mountain. Moshe then gets a download of an incredible sample of what Torah was. And that was the Mishpatim. 
On the same day, Moshe leaves, so it's still the sixth day of Sivan. There's still, there's still been the pyrotechnics of Anoich Hashem Aleikecho, but after Anoich Hashem Aleikecho, Moshe got things they didn't hear about. The Ten Commandments, whether they heard them through Moshe, they knew that right away. But then Moshe spends, we don't know how much time, hearing Parshas Mishpatim, that's Perak, uh, Chaf Aleph, Chaf Beis, and Chaf Gimel, the way we've divided it, of Sefer Mish, of Parsha Shmos. Moshe gets that, he learns it with God, and that's when he comes down, it's still the sixth day, it's still the day of Matan Torah, and that's what it says, take a look in the Ramban here on the board, it, it says, it says Vayisapir. Vayisapir is something new. Vayisapir means it's something new they haven't heard. Why? Because, right? And that's why, look what he says here, Tevliros, Rav Avram, Rabbeinu Avram, uh, Eben Ezra is right that what we have over here is not some sort of throwback parsha, but the parshios are all consistent. Now, this is the Ramban's general approach, as you know. It's going to come up uh, next week as well. Next week is, of course, the parsha of what? The parsha of, of, of Truma, right? Parsha's Truma, and then parsha's Tzavah, the parshios of the Mishka. So, the Ramban and, and, and Eben Ezra say the parshas of the Mishkan precede parshas Kisisa. Kisisa, of course, is the parsha which has in its heart the Cheda Egel. So, according to the Ramban and Ben Ezra, parsha of of, of 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 the Mishkan precedes the Egel. The Mishkan was already meant to be given even before the Cheda Egel. Now, this runs counter to what Rashi's opinion, and the Sfarno especially, who say that the Mishkan is actually an answer to the Egel. Right? You've heard that before. Mm-hmm. That the Mishkan, with all its with all its details, is really a response to the Egel. And of course, the Ramban says, uh, I, the Ramban feels that we've got to take this book and read it. There's a reason why it has a chronological Seder. Now, there might be places where Chazal say this doesn't belong here, but the Ramban, with very big shoulders, says... Generally, I'm going to say the book is chronologically correct. Matan Torah happens in Parshas Yisro. Parshas Mishpatim happens afterwards. The end of Parshas Mishpatim is also after Parshas. So this is really a second. It's not a second version of Matan Torah. Um, as you can see here, I bolded it here. That's what Mishpatim means. And look what the Rabban says. They were happy. In other words, it wasn't just, it wasn't, it's been a learning experience now. It's been a learning experience of Parshas Mishpatim. And Moshe didn't, Moshe did more than that. And I'm explaining in a second. Before, first he tells them that. And even hearing it whets their appetite. He, you can hear a pin drop. They love described in, in, in Parshas Mishpatim. Because we believe in it. We believe that you are God's agent and we love what we heard. And therefore, tell us, keep on giving us more of this stuff. Give me more of this candy. Give me more of this cholent, kugel, kishka, whatever food you like. Imagine that's the way they were eating up the Torah of Parshas Mishpatim. Next day, they get a krisis habris. And he reads it. And they said, okay, now that it was read, we're going to accept it. And now it becomes uh, Nase Venishma. Um, I'd like to say that um, book means you can have that book as well. And Moshe maybe would say, okay, I got copies if you need it. That generates the excitement. They go to hammer likes to hit a nail. So 
it, 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 it makes sense that I should be saying this. But I, I believe it's part of our, we want to read it and find the fine tune of it and maybe even be, be stymied and mystified by it. And then we want to apply it. And that's why we say Nasa Manishma, because give me more of that. Give me more. It isn't just about living the, 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 this utopian life. It's about an application of the most beautiful, uh, compassionate laws that have ever been in the world. That's where the, the picture of Nasa Manishma comes in. Now, the Ramban realizes he's on somewhat shaky ground. Because Rashi didn't take it out of a hat. Rashi didn't take his uh, interpretation out of himself, right? Rashi had Chazal, right? Rashi was very, very knowledgeable about Chazal. And Rashi, uh, in faith, actually, again, I don't have time to go into it, but Rashi actually compresses a number of opinions in the Mechilta together to come up with his interpretation. So the Ramban doesn't want to be just an Ebenezer wannabe, right? Because Ebenezer didn't care. Ebenezer was out there saying, look, I'm going to tell you what the Pshad is. There is the Kabbalah of Chazal. If you like that, that's fine. I'm not telling you not to be from, not to be in Chazal, but this is the Pshad. That's Ebenezer in many, many places. And again, he, he got himself in trouble because of that. The Ramban, of course, is the head of the, the greatest Rav that we know in Christian Spain. The, the Rav, the, the, the teacher of the Rashp and the Ra'ah, the Ritva writes in his Chuvas that all our Torah comes from the Ramban. All our way of learning comes from the Derech that the Ramban gave us. He wasn't just a, a Bible commentator. This man was the leader of, 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 of Spanish Jewry. So he can't just say, well, this is the Pshat and forget about the Drash. So he quotes this Mechilta. He says, okay, yesh amrusha yukodim matan Torah. Okay. And the Lashon that he's quoting, areyatem kshurim, tfusim, anuvim, mochar bove kibalechem is called mitzvos. Okay. So there are opinions that say it happened on day five. Now that the bris has happened, tomorrow you'll get everything. So I guess you have to accept like Rashi, you know, that they, they right? Rebiosi, Rebbe Yehuda, Omer, bo bayom nasu kolamaisim. What's Bo Bayom? So the Ramban says, Bo Bayom must be after Matan Torah. And after the Sefer Abris. Hakol Kamo Shepirashnu. That's what, the way I said it, I found my, I found my Chazal, I found my opinion, I found my Yossi Bar Yehuda. Look what he says here, Ulezeh Shomen, Shomer Ka'alocha. That's, he's the one you listen to. I know you're gonna find Chazal the other way. But as long as he can find one opinion in Chazal that he believes is the most is the straightest, he says that's the one that makes the most sense. Now, okay. <clears throat> um, before we get into Ribis, I, I just want to point out that um, this Ramban has been attacked uh, because, first of all, uh, the Rabbi Yaakov Tzvi Mecklenburg the author of a great, great sefer on Chumash called the Ksava Kabbalah, says, if you really look at the, if you look in the Mechilta correctly, you'll see that all of the opinions say it happened before Matan Torah. The whole question of Bo Bayom means that it happened on day four or day five. In other words, was the writing of the sefer a bris, but if you, if an objective reading of the Mechilta indicates that, um, that it happened before. In fact, Mecklenburg says, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe actually seems to uh, refer to him, that if it would, how does the parsha begin? 
He says, when the again, this is a rule, and again, the Lubavitcher also seems to say that it's true. The El Moshe Amar is not like chronological. If it would be chronological, it would say, Vayomer Hashem El Moshe. It says, El Moshe Amar, that's your hint that it's actually something back in the past. And he says, um, where it says, Vahashem Pokad Esora is another example. We know that, what, remember that from Parshas, uh, Parshas uh, Vayero, Hashem Pokad Esora? Remember that, that Hashem allowed Sarah to become pregnant? We read it on Rosh Hashanah. So we know that um, what happened beforehand. Right before that, what happened was she was taken by, um, by she was taken by uh, Avimelech, right? So people thought, as you know, that Avimelech was the father of Yitzchak because of that. So Hashem Pokat Esorah is telling you even before she was taken by Avimelech, Hashem had already allowed her to become pregnant through Avram. She was actually, maybe people didn't realize it, but she'd already been pregnant. And that's why we know that there's no way, whatever relations he might have or might not have had with her, she was already pregnant. That's why it doesn't say, it doesn't say, Vayafkeit Hashem Esora, Vahashem, or it says, when it says the name first, El Moshe Amar, it says that's a clue, this is the Ksav HaKabola's rule, that this happened earlier. And he has four or five places in the Torah where he can show that happening. Again, I'm not him, this is one of his justifications. The other thing he says is, is that uh, if you look in the Sifrei, if you look in the Mechilta, the, uh, an objective reading is against the Ramban. And in fact, come on, uh, uh, the, the um, Rabbi Yom Mizrahi already says, he makes a, uh, he makes a I, I think it's a bad pun, but I guess it's a pretty nice one considering. Uh, to the Ramban, he says, um, here's, the, here's the Mizrahi. Um, Remember what the Ramban's question is. Vayisapir? That must be some new stuff. That can't be old stuff. They heard that already. They already knew about the Sheva Mitzvah's B'nai Noach. So, let's see what he says. He says... Um, here it is. Here. Right up there. Ha-Ramban ton v'omar. Eino nochon shi'al mishpotim that should say Vayisapir. So, <laughs> I hope it picks this up. Um... He says, Lo yadati mi He says, he says, the Ramban's question was, it should say Yagid, right? It says, it says, Lo Amr Vayasafra el Bechadoshos Asher Yagid. When it's something new, like Parshas Mishpatim. And then he says, Lo yadati mi Higid Who was the one who was Magid that to the Ramban? Kihine, the Radak, who wrote the Sefer Shroshim, he says, what is Nagad, like Hagadah? Hagoda means Kulam Indian Sipur. And Wash Indian Hagoda is on Chadoshos. But Sipur is not on Chadoshos. The word Sipur is about something that has happened you might even know about, but I'm telling you the version. Because it's got to be on something that's already happened or something that was said. So, in other words, the, the, uh, the Mizrahi says, from, a, from an etymological point of view, a Mesaper can be telling you something from the past. He says, Haggadah is something new. And this should make you want to have a, a nice Seder this year. Haggadah should be something that's actually different. But Sipur itself, the word Sipur is really based on 
something that's happened in the past. Mecklenburg actually says it's similar to the word that Mecklenburg likes what the Mizrahi says, and he adds to it. And he says when you when you're when you're being masapir to someone, you're actually putting an order. Now, they're just like you count, you put numbers together. A masapir knows how to tell a story, right? If I'm being masapir, like how do I frame this story? So I, I, I take it from one, two, three, four. Can you storyboard an idea of how you're going to go, or you flowchart something? Masapir's milosh and misbar. It's the same idea. You actually put one thing to the next one. Here's the next point. So the ideas themselves were known to you, but I like the way you were misapir them. I like the way you took the idea and you lined it up. And sort of like going from one number to the next to the next to the next. That's what a Mesapir does. So it could be what Moshe Rabbeinu did was say, you've heard about a lot of stuff. I want to be Mesapir to you what the Sheva Mitzvah saw. I want to Mesapir to you what happened in Morah. So a Sipur can be about things you know about, but hearing it in that way is a Sipur. That, so therefore the Ramban's point that they wouldn't have been impressed because they knew about it already is not necessarily true. Okay. The other question against the Ramban is that from was 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 from the, the famous Avni Nezer son of uh, Shmuel Bornstein in, in, in a sefer that I think is like one of the most popular Chassidish svarim even in the non-Chassidish world is the Shem Mishmul. So Shem Mishmul uh, writes that how can it be if the Ramban is right? We all know this was supposed to be before Matan Torah. The Malachim came out and said you're great and and and, and you deserve to get the Torah. According to this, most of the important stuff happened the day after Mount Torah, right? He says, it's mind-boggling to think about it, because they should say Nasev and Nishma, that whole great level of Nasev and Nishma should happen post Mount Torah? It's got to happen. The whole point is, that's where we show who we are, and we're ready for the Torah. How can it be something that happens later? I think the Ramban's answer to that, if he was alive, he would have said to the Shemi Shmuel, look, it's all important, but it really what happens, the, smil, the still small voice later is actually more important than what happened beforehand. The, the learning and the absorbing and, and, and the willingness to actually be an active agent with God together in the Torah of learning and understanding it, that actually is even more crucial. And yeah, it happened later. It, it didn't happen before, but we had to at least be, taste some of it. So I, I just want to end with... Um, because I promised to talk about ribis, and I guess you know I, I, this itself is already enough of a of, of, a, of, of an idea. And but I want to talk about ribis for a second. Um, if we take a look at the uh, at uh, this post, these psukim here, so. Um, First of all, why is it even called ribis? Um, you know, uh, it, 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 so ribis we know becomes you're getting more. The Torah actually doesn't call it ribis in Parshas Mishpatim. It calls it the Torah says lo silo kenosha lo sisimenolov neshech. Okay, so we don't have much time. I'm going to read a Rashi um, to you, and we'll start with the Rashi on neshech. Now neshech sounds like a bite, right? And you could say, yeah, you gotta, you gotta pay interest, here's a bite. You're gonna pay me back, but I'm also biting this other stuff. But why was it called Neshech specifically? Now, Rashi throughout, again, it's, it's, having been involved with Rashi, we talked about how great he was. One thing you'll see about Rashi throughout uh, Chumash and throughout his, his parish on the Talmud, he knew his animals. If you look at Rashi and Beitza, when Rashi speaks about the, 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 
the activities of birds and a dovecote and how they act and how they walk and how they... Rashi, you can see that Rashi was a very aware of animal activities and Rashi knew exactly the way they were and when they come out. Throughout, you see Rashi was, an, if not an animal lover, he was definitely an animal observer. Look what he says here about Neshech. I didn't. I don't think this is from Chazal. It's his own interpretation. Look what he says here. Ribishu k'neshichas nochosh shenoshech chaburak tana beragvo ve'eno margish opitom hu mivatzves v'nofeach ad katkodo. You know what Neshech is? Neshech is a little pinch that the snake bites, right? And it's a little small little wound. And you don't even feel it. But then all of a sudden, pitom, it, it, it grows. And then look at that Russian. It's mevatsvets. It like shoots up v'nofeach. And it actually it goes up, up into his brain and kills him, right? So in other words, you don't even realize it. And you're walking around this. And all of a sudden, the poison has started to come in to the point that it gives you this, it, it kills you. That's the idea of what the terror is trying to outlaw. Now, now what, is, what does that mean? So I think what that means is, is this. Why does God say the, some of the most incredible things about Ribis? It says if you lend with Ribis, you're Kaifer B'Kadosh Baruch who took us out of Mitzrayim. You're, you, you, you don't get Olam Haba. You're Kaifer B'Tchiyas HaMesim. The amount, and the Rambam, who's usually, you know, goes soft on that, actually writes in his Sefer, uh, if you look in the Rambam, the Rambam is, is, is brings down the most fire and brimstone chazal in here about ribbis. You take a look what he says. Um, okay. Um, here it is. Um, here, halacha yud. Anyone who's involved in the whole ribbis deal if you've written the star, if you're one of the witnesses, if you're one of the people that was called in uh, to, 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 to witness or to write it. The Lova, the Malva, right? Shneem from Vashem. They are deniers of God, Belahe Yisrael. It's like they're Kofar Vitzias Mitzrayim as well. Um, okay, wow. Now it's true, Chazal make these droshas, but the Rambam puts it into Alocha. The Rambam wants his readers to know that this is bad news. And, and this is one of the worst things. Now, why is it so terrible? If you think about it, right? Now, again, I'm, right? the, the guy needs money. Uh, these are the people he's going to get the money from. He's going to take that money and, and he's going to invest it and hopefully he's going to be able to pay back. We all know, without getting into too much history, that it had not been for Jewish money lending, that, that the Jews wouldn't have been able to finance themselves. And of course, it wasn't among themselves, among non-Jews. But the idea of, of, of lending an interest, that, uh, there's 180 people or 300 people in this building that can come here and explain well, how crucial the money system is, right? That this is, everything is built on basically getting a, a, a line of credit and to pay back, right? Interest, the whole world runs with interest, right? And yet here it is uh, being outlawed uh, among us. Why? To the point, with, with such extreme language, right? We're not talking about, we're not talking about stealing from somebody. We're talking about an agreement that was entered into willingly by two parties, right? And if, a, as the Rambam and others point out, when it comes to Ona, when it comes to being charged more money than something, you can willfully say, I hereby 
uh, a mochel and a mochel, and we're not. You're, I know what the Torah writes, but I'm willing to pay more, and you're not considered a balavera. If a person says that by ribis, he's just as bad. In fact, the Gemara says he's worse in a way than the malva because he's over with naiver. He actually because because by tape by because the malva might have walked away, and he says I'll take the money anyway. I, I want to borrow the money. You've now caused him to do this avera. So the, the, the halachic attitude about ribis is, 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 is extreme and, and, and it's, inc- it's very unusual, right? So the, the Sefer Chinuch writes something, if you remember the Rashi that I quoted to you a minute ago, look what he says here. He says that um, the sherish of this mitzvah is is that because it's so prevalent and everybody is going to do it and because all other societies were doing it, that if, if 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 we allow that to happen, what happens is is that yibola echad cheil chaveiro meblisha yargish baatzmo atchiyimtza beis horekon mikoltuv. Ribis is such a a tricky thing. It's like that snake bite that you don't realize it. You need the money. You're desperate. You don't see the dotted line. How many of how many of us? I got to get this app. I got to get this loaded right. And then you have eighty nine pages right. And then it says you have to agree. You have to agree. Okay, let me just go down there and click agree. And we don't realize what's in the dot, right? We don't realize what's in that material, and it's written that way specifically. And yet, we want it, we need it, and look what will happen. What happens is, is that it's going gonna, it's gonna to come in and, and, and swallow you up, right? And that's why the Sefer Chinuk says that if, if ribis allows to be happen among us, now what happens is, is that people will become destitute because they need the money. They're not going to be careful about how they borrow it. They're going to assume that they're going to be able to pay back. They think it's the great, right? They're, 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 right? Someone came, and whisp- someone came and whispered in their ear plastics or something like that and they wanted to, they wanted to go and uh, invest in it. And, right? Yeah. And then it didn't happen. It didn't happen and now they're up the creek without a paddle. And they got to pay. And you'll see that you, you, that cleared you out. That's going to clear you out. Kikan darko shoribis, the Sefer HaChinuch, writing in the Middle Ages. That's what ribis is, v'yadu'a adover. And that's why, as the Rashi says, it's called neshech. So God decided to say, look, I know it runs counter, it's counterintuitive. It ain't going to happen here on this watch. It's not going to happen in this society. And even though that's counter to everything, we cannot have... We know the people need. We know that that giving a loan is, uh, as the Sefer Abatim points out here, is 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 a greater form of tzedakah than giving a handout, and you can see that here. Um, but wouldn't people be more encouraged to give out loans if they get interest? That's what I'm calling. So you're saying that the system sounds good, but God gives all these havtochas. Of brachos, right? That if you, that if you, if you, the God will be in charge, will give you the money, you'll get the money back. But the, the, the gross reality is people stopped, right? So Chazal came up with Eitzes and Takonas, the Heteriska and other things like that to allow it to happen. But, no, but you're asking a good question. The Heteriska, in fact, any of the Takonas Chazal made, does that show that what God's view for us is a lie and that, 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 that it's not going to happen? Um, I just want to point out this from the Sefer Rabbatim, and I'm going to end with one last thing. Um, he says there's a mitzvah right before ribis is to lend money to give people an interest-free loan. And he says there, if you take a look, 
uh, uh, right there, the Rabdovet HaKochavi in Provence. Um, I'll talk about him at a different time because I don't want to go on too on. But he says over here that he says it's a definitely it's a bigger mitzvah than tzedakah. Someone's already come to the point that he says, "I have nothing. Just give me, give me a handout." His pain is not like the one who's trying not to do that. In other words, the pain of someone who's already given up and just ready to come to your door and say, "I have nothing. Just give me money." Is not as strong as the pain. He's trying to make good and he's trying to say, I have money, I can pay back. Right? He doesn't want to say he has nothing. Therefore, he comes and asks for a loan and he imagines that he can pay. And that's why the Sefer Batam says it's actually a bigger mitzvah to realize how tough this guy is and, and what's going on. Now again, you can decide whether you want to take the money from him back or not, but give him to him as a loan, that gives him his dignity, that allows him to be more of a person. One last thing. What is this business about Losila Kenosha? So I just want to point out the, uh, and again, I'm just going to say it outside because it's going to take too much time. Um, if you look in, it says don't, the Rashi says it means don't push the guy. Don't push the guy. Nosh is to push. The Ramban says it means act basically while the loan is going on as if the loan didn't happen. Don't, right? In other words, you're exactly the same. You don't want to take any benefits. You don't want him to start being nicer to you than he'd been up to that point. And this is, of course, the idea of Ribbis Devarim. All right. Now, again, that doesn't mean, right? Be frozen. The Rabbi Yosef Shor writes that Nosha comes from the term of forgetting. <coughs> that, uh, that, that I, I for, right. He says the long con about ribbis is you lend it to him easily and then you forget about it. You make it seem as if you forgot about it. Basically, you lull him into a state of, of yeah, he hasn't asked me for it. Yeah, yeah, I haven't been getting anything from him. Then you come back like the snake. Then you come back, oh, you know what? That was like seven, I haven't talked to him in seven months. Look what's happened in those months. Look at the, the, how it's immortized. A notion is somebody who plays the con. He actually lends the money and he realizes he can forget about it, right? He could say, yeah, yeah, spend it, yeah. And then he doesn't, he sees him and he never even says anything. He acts like he forgot, but he didn't forget. What he's actually after is actually to come back and say, hey, what about that money that I lent you? What about, hey, I forgot about it, but you know what? You owed it to me, look. And you feel, oh yeah, I do, right? In other words, if you were playing the non-con, if you were just playing the thing, and remember my money, you're going to pay it, and you're going to pay it before the interest accumulates. But the way the lender acts is as a notion. He fakes as if it's nothing to him. He acts like there's nothing going on. He lulls the the debtor into a a false sense of security by being a notion. And this way, it's like a spring that's that's wound. And when it comes to tie the money, the person is really desperate. He feels it. He says, whoa, I really have to pay. Look what's happened. And he's allowed all this time to happen. That type of of, of language, notion, neshech, that really tells you this isn't. This is about the psychology and understanding the depths of what human people, what people are about. That's something that that listen. We don't have the records in the other uh, of the cuneiforms and hieroglyphics, but that I think is even more than anything, which is what convinced us to be all in. Because we're talking about a loving God who knew us, who know what our society is, and knows our psychology, knows our needs and our feelings, and realizes that this thing can work. 
And if we learn it and we explain it, I think it's the type of thing that we can, we can, that we can again be makabel. So that's it for today. It's Hashem. See you Hashem next week. Okay. And real. explain it, I think it's the type of thing that we can we can that we can again be makabel. So that's it for today. Ritashem. See you Hashem next week. Okay. And a real And we explain it. I think it's the type of thing that we can, we can, that we can again be makabel. So that's it for today. It's Hashem. Sure, sure. See you with Hashem next week. Okay. And real. <laughs>